I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of Peter's letter of encouragement to a struggling church, to struggling believers, rather, that uh, were undergoing increasing persecution, increasing difficulties in their life, and most recently, beginning back in verse number 12, we began examining Peter's perspectives on suffering, and uh, we talked about how suffering is to be a cause for joy, and, um, and then beginning last week in verses 14 through 16, we began to look at suffering as a path to glory, that is, it is a means by which we glorify God, in which we enter into that same glory. You know, Peter is writing to a people from the perspective of you know, Peter suffered some persecution. In fact, he was one of the, uh, the earliest to experience persecution. He was there at the foundation of the church. He was there when uh, Stephen was killed. He was actually in prison when Stephen was killed and uh, thought he would be next. And uh, God miraculously delivered him. But, uh, but Peter knew a little bit about what persecution was. And uh, he knew as the, as the church was undergoing criticism and... Uh, imprisonment and, and the opposition of the culture that he wanted to write to these believers to encourage them in that reality. And so he, he has written this letter, and, and in several places throughout the letter, he deals with the theme of suffering because he wants us to understand that, that suffering isn't something that's to be avoided at all costs, but rather some, suffering is something that we, we can embrace and something that we can actually, uh, I won't want to say look forward to, but it's something that we can um, be joyful about because recognizing that our suffering brings us into closer communion with Christ. Because through our suffering, we appreciate more the suffering He endured for our sake. Uh, Through suffering, He is there for us, and we can recognize because He suffered so much that He identifies with us and and that we're able to draw comfort and peace in that knowledge and understanding. And, and Peter, just like I said, throughout this letter has just addressed the issue of suffering. Way back in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, In this greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the first real in-depth way that Peter begins to deal with suffering. Then in chapter 2, in verse 20, he tells us, For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. And he begins at this point to, to look at suffering, not just in a general sense, but in a more specific sense, that when our suffering comes from the very fact that we are believers, when we experience rejection, when we experience opposition, when we experience ridicule because of our faith, either because we're actively sharing the gospel with people or because we're taking a stand on biblical conviction and morality, he said, when that opposition comes, we will find favor with God. And then in chapter 3, in verse 14, and then again in verse 17, he says, If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right 
rather than for doing what is wrong. And that same theme carries over into our text for this morning in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we read from God's holy and inerrant word. 1 Peter chapter 4. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Gracious Father, as we continue in your word, we pray that you would protect us from error, that you would apply these truths to our hearts, and that you would conform us to the very image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that he might be manifest in us and through us for the spreading of the gospel and the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can please be seated. Now we looked at, last time we looked at verse 14 and we looked at how there's a declaration of the reality of suffering for the glory of God in verse 14. He says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That is, God's presence is manifest in us when we endure for his sake. When, when you are presenting the gospel and people reject you, when you are taking a stand on biblical conviction and people oppose you, when you are doing those things, you are manifesting the very presence of Christ. You are manifesting the very convictions of his word. And you are representing him in a way that is pleasing to him. And because of that, we are blessed. And God is glorified in that reality. But that is not the only application from this text that we see. We, we, and we talked about this a little bit last week that you know, in making the application to suffering, we often look at it from a general sense that when suffering comes our way, because, you know, we all endure suffering from time to time. Difficult things happen in life. We have to endure. And there's a lot of encouragement from these verses and others that help us to endure those difficulties for the sake of Christ. Because we know that in suffering, that we are given an opportunity to manifest our faith and to manifest our trust in Jesus Christ to see us through and to be an encouragement to us. But this text is more specifically dealing with suffering that comes specifically for making a stand for Christ, for being a Christian. God is glorified in us and through us when we experience the discomfort and ridicule of the world for our Christian behavior. Peter declares the reality of that suffering for the name of Christ Manifest glory as His Spirit is manifested in us as we've seen. And through the testimony of our life, we honor Christ in the face of an increasingly hostile world, remembering that the opposition, the rejection that we face, is a test of our faith. And if we're to remember to keep all of this in context, we go back to verse 12, and he tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. This is the context which Peter sets that, that everything that follows after that 
and what we're talking about in, in perspectives of suffering has to do with the testing of our faith, but recognizing also it's not just that we are, test, are tested, but we are also blessed. And that's what we saw in verse 14 last time, that if we're reviled for the name of Christ, we are blessed. That was the declaration that we looked at last time. But there is also a determined response, a determined response on our part to make sure that we use the opportunity to glorify God. You know, it's one thing, we just, I think we have a tendency to kind of go through life and as things are happening, we don't always try to see things through God's perspective. We try to figure stuff out on our own, right? I mean, stuff's going on, things are happening, we're running through different reasonings and, and, and we're trying to think of things logically and we're thinking of cause and effect and, and this is happening, this is happening, and because this happens, it makes me feel this way and I want to do this. And, and we respond a lot of times in accordance with our feelings rather than in accordance with God's Word. And this happens especially and in particularly when people reject us, when people don't like us, when people oppose us, when people come against us, we tend to respond to them with our feelings rather than with the truth of God's Word. God says, listen, if you're my child and they're rejecting you because you're doing the things which represent me, listen, don't don't let that be the thing that determines how you respond. Let the truth of my Word and the promises that I've given you, let those things determine how you respond. Respond so that you might give me glory. Don't respond in a way that, that, that brings reproach on me, but bring glory to my name. Intentionally respond in a way that I can be glorified in you. And so, so Peter reminds us here that as believers that there are certain things that will bring suffering into our life that we ought to avoid right? I mean, obviously. You know, when we do wrong things, just like, just like we read back in, in chapter 3, verse 17, it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Well, we get a little bit of a, more of an explanation here in verse 15, and Peter tells us very specifically, he says, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Now, do you expect that a murderer is going to suffer? I mean, we have that expectation, right? I mean, murderers justly endure suffering when they're caught and they're prosecuted and, they're, and they, they're given a sentence. And a lot of times, um, you know, it requires their life of them, right? I mean, that's, they, you know, so obviously, you know, none of us want to suffer as a murderer, right? We don't want to be known that way. We don't want to endure the, the uh, outcome of having that label on us. And so, I mean, that's, that's like, okay, well, you know, why, why does he even have to say it, right? Let none of you suffer as a murderer. Well, I think part of it has to do with, with the responses that the people are given to the opposition that they're facing. You know, because what happens sometimes when people feel rejected and, and they feel opposed? They respond in violence, right? And so I think part of this is Peter is saying, listen, don't, don't, be, don't respond the way the world would to rejection and opposition. But let, let this be true of you. So don't be known as a murderer. Don't suffer because of that. Don't suffer as a thief. Right? Well, thieves, again, we understand that thieves, those guys, 
you know, they deserve what they get. You steal something, you ought to have to pay for it, right? There's, there's consequences to that. And Peter, you know, he's, he's kind of becoming a little bit more general then as he moves on through this. Make sure none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief. And then he throws in this, he throws this in, he says, or an evildoer. Now, what is that? That's just kind of an all-encompassing word that Peter throws in here. Basically, don't do things that harm others or harm society. That's kind of this, this, this word here. It's just a very general thing. You know, don't break the law, right? And as, and as far as you can obey the law and honor Christ, don't break the law, but follow the authorities that God's placed over you, right? Don't do those things which are harmful to, your, to yourself, to others, or to society. Don't, don't do those things, right? Because when you do, you bring a reproach on you, you bring a reproach on Christ, you bring suffering into your life that you don't need to endure, right? When we do wrong things, we invite suffering into our life, right? So basically, don't do that. But the one that really throws me in this whole list, and the one that I think catches a lot of us, is this last one. Is he's, he's going through this list, and we're like, yeah, murderer, yeah, I got that covered. Thief, yep, not doing that. Evildoer, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not looking out to harm anybody or society, so that's good. And then he throws this one in, and he says, or a troublesome meddler. I think if you have the King James, it says a busybody. Don't, don't, don't be getting into other people's business where you don't belong. Don't, don't make everybody else's business your own. And what is, what is Peter really saying here? He says, don't do those things that reflect negatively on the name of Christ. That's really what he's saying. Don't do those things that, 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 that will bring a reproach on his name. Do the things which honor him. You know, when you're, when you're all the time inserting yourself into people's business, when you're causing trouble for other people, that doesn't honor God. No one, no one likes to be known as the one who's stirring the pot. But you hear, people, you hear about people stirring the pot all the time, right? Is that ever used in a, good, in a good sense when you're referring to people? You know, if you're cooking, that's one thing. But when you're referring to people, that's something different. Nobody likes to be referred to as the one who's stirring the pot. That's a negative thing. And that's really what, what Peter's saying here. Don't, don't be that person. Because what are you doing? You're, when you're the one that's stirring the pot, you're, you're bringing about conflict. You're stirring up conflict. And that, Christ wasn't one to, to create conflict for the sake of conflict. Now, did he create conflict? You better believe he did. But he did it by representing the righteousness of God. And so, what Peter's telling us is, look, if you're going to have suffering in your life, let it be for the righteousness of God and not just for the sake of, of your own feelings, your own preferences, your own desires. Avoid the actions that harm the reputation of Christ. Now, this last week, many, uh, many of us spent time with family to celebrate Thanksgiving. And, you know, we all have different people in our family, different characteristics, right? But Typically, you know, you, your family, you know, just think about it for a second. If you could think of your family and think of a characteristic that would define your family as a whole. You know, we, we all kind of have this, there's general characteristics that kind of define the reputation of our family, how the family sees the family as a whole, how members of the family see it as a whole, right? Rep, the, family, family, the family name is something that 
reflects reputation. If I were to ask you about uh, famous families, right, by, by reputation, you might think of somebody, uh, you might think of like the Bush family, right, politically famous. You know, George Bush was president, his son George W. was president, um, his brother Jeb was governor of Florida and also a presidential candidate. So politically, you know, that's, they're a famous family. They're, they have a political reputation, right, being conservative and, and those things. Um, there, there's families that uh, have had influence for the kingdom. You think about the Graham family. Think about the, the crusades of, of Billy Graham, and you think about the ministries that his son Franklin Graham is, is carrying out now, and, and uh, you know, they have a reputation in their family for, for serving the kingdom of the Lord, right? Um, in a negative sense, you know, there's, there's negative reputations out there too. You think about, you know, crime, crime families, right? They, not a good thing. They're, they're infamous for what they do, but they have a reputation for their family. And the point is that we need to be thinking about the significance of the family name. Not our individual family name, but the family name we take on when we enter into the family of Christ. You see, we are Christ's family. When we are saved, when we put our faith in Him, we become part of His family. I want to share with you a a poem I came across this last week. poem by Nell Williams called Your Family Name. It says, you got it from your father. It was all he had to give. So it's yours to use and cherish for as long as you may live. If you lost the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced. But a black mark on your name can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad the name is spotless when you give it to your son. You see, family name, that used to be something that, that people cherished, something that people sought to protect. And, and I think in, in the generations that are coming up, it's not something that is, it doesn't carry the same weight as it once did. But understanding that perspective is important to understanding what it is that we're called to be as part of God's family. We're to protect the name of Christ. We're to serve in a way that reflects on his goodness and his glory and not do the things that bring a reproach on him. And this is the thing that we need to understand. If you're a believer, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, You don't get to choose whether or not you represent Christ. You are representing him. The question is how well are you representing him? Because everything you do, when you bear the name Christian, everything you do is a reflection on him, whether good or bad. And there's a lot of things that we can do that can bring reproach on the name of Christ. And, And so Peter is telling us, Listen, avoid those things. Avoid those things and and do the things which honor him. Do the things which reflect your relationship to Christ rather than the things which bring reproach to Christ. I fear that many of us give in to the temptation sometimes of trying to walk this line between being accepted by the world and being pleasing to God. Because we really... We really want to be pleasing to God, but you know what? There's a lot of stuff in the world that we like. 
And there's a lot of stuff in the world that we want, and we want, to, we want people to like us, and we want, and we want, to, we want to do the things that will, that will make us popular, and we want, to, we want to, we just, we want the things that we want. And we have to want the things that God wants more than the things that we want in order that we might be pleasing unto Him. And so, so we need to act in accordance with our relationship to Christ, and that's the, what we get to in verse 16. He says, first of all, don't, you know, don't do the things that bring reproach on Christ, but do the things which glorify him. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but, is, but he is to glorify God in this name. Our response to the world's rejection, or even the possibility of it, ought to be one that demonstrates our relationship to Christ. You know, the name Christian, it was one... It was not originally a favorable term. The, in the book of Acts, it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Well, what, what did that mean? It, it meant that there was this crazy guy named Jesus who they claimed to be the Christ that they were going after, and they were looked at as being strange they were looked at as being um, unpopular. They were looked at as, as being a little unpredictable. And, um, and so they kind of they gained this reputation for following after this, this crazy Jewish guy named Jesus who they claimed to be Christ. And so they got the name Christian. And it was not, it was not intended initially to be something that was a positive thing, but it wasn't long before the, the uh, fellowship of believers embraced the name. And I think largely because of what Peter wrote here to, to the believers, and he, and he basically says glorify God in this name. But, but he tells us that although it wasn't something that was, that was popular, the people embraced it because it simply meant to be a follower of Christ. It meant to belong to Christ. The term Christian means to belong to to Christ. And, and today, once again, the, the term Christian has fallen into disrepute. The, the, the culture overall is, is becoming increasingly hostile to everything that is called Christian. And even in the last 20 or so years, the church has even abandoned the name Christian to a large degree and, and sought to redefine what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ because they would say that the, the term Christian has been adopted by so many people that don't really live it out, that any, anybody that just wants to identify themselves as Christians, they do, but there's no, there's no outward living of it, and, it doesn't, and the name has lost its meaning. That's kind of how, how pe- some in the church have termed it. But, you know, it's not the name. It's not what you call yourself that is so significant. You can call yourself a Christ follower. You can call yourself a Christian, and, and we shouldn't, I don't think we should get hung up so much on what we call ourselves, but we should be hung up on is how we live our life in a way that reflects the character of Christ, because that's the most important thing. And, and here's the reality. Because of the way the culture's going, there's a whole lot of people that used to be what you would maybe consider a carnal Christian, or you might consider just a cultural Christian, that they're going to abandon that name pretty quick because of the way the culture's going, because the culture is getting more hostile to Christianity, so there's not going to be people that are taking on that name for social reasons. They're going to be abandoning that name. But the thing that the, the 
culture is more against than just the name is those things which reflect the character of Christ. That's really what our culture is about. That's what the war in our culture is over right now. The war in our culture is against those things that reflect the character of Christ, not just the things which we call Christian. But our responsibility is to continue to do the things which demonstrate our relationship with Christ and our devotion to Christ in order that we our desires might follow and we might perform obediently to His Word. We're told plainly in this text that we're not to be ashamed, but rather to glorify God. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be ashamed of Christ? I mean, have you really given it much thought? I mean, all of us understand in a basic sense what it means to be ashamed. But I think sometimes we don't always think that our actions reflect what shame, being ashamed of Christ really means, what it carries with it. But think about the context in which Peter's sharing. He's talking to people who are suffering, who have suffered uh, social persecution, right? We, we, we read about that um, a little bit earlier in, in the text and in, uh, back in verse 4 of this chapter. He says, in this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. That is, they, they, have, they have faced that social persecution, and, uh, but they're also beginning to see some physical persecution. You know, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, but um, this is a time when Nero is emperor of the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, Nero was not, he was not a good guy. He was not liked by a lot of people. He was known for his lust for building, um, such that he even burned the city of Rome burned it to the ground just so he could rebuild it. And when people, when people were upset and they began to point the finger at him, he was looking for a scapegoat. And there's this, this group of people in the, in the society that people are already looking at suspiciously because they don't really understand them, and they're Christians. And so Nero begins to redirect people's attention and say, you know what, they're the ones that are responsible for burning down the city. And so now that social persecution takes an uptick because not only are you just looked at as being strange and different than the culture around you, but now you're responsible for something, for, for the lives and for the property of a lot of people in the community and in, in, in the empire. And then, and then, so what does Nero do? Nero says, well, you know, they're responsible, so we're going to start arresting them. And so he starts arresting them, and he starts putting them in the arena to, to face the lions. He starts uh, uh, capturing them and, and dipping them in oil and setting them on fire to, to light his garden parties and, and just all kinds of crazy, horrible things that he's doing to these Christians just because they're called Christian, just because they're seeking to follow after Christ. And so in that context, Peter's telling, telling them, he says, listen, I understand the difficulty that you're facing, but don't be ashamed of the name. Don't hide who you are. That's what it means to be ashamed of the name of Christ. Don't hide who you are. Don't shy away from opposition. Don't shy away from rejection. Don't fail to share your faith with people because you're afraid. Christ told us in Mark 8.38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
The Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. So if you think hiding your Christianity is not a big deal, you better think again. Jesus says plainly, it is a big deal. We should never seek to hide who we are in Christ. But we should boldly represent Him, sharing our faith, taking stands on the convictions of biblical truth. I understand that it's difficult. Sometimes we don't share our faith because we're inexperienced or we're afraid or we just simply don't know how. If that's you, I would love to meet with you. I can, I can equip you in about 10 minutes how to share your faith with somebody. It's, it's not hard. Now, I can't just give you the experience, but I can give you an opportunity on Monday nights when we go out and, and talk to people, I can give you the opportunity to go along and shadow some people and learn how to share your faith. So I'm not saying that everything that we do when we fail is because we're ashamed, but I am saying that it's something that we need to evaluate and deal with in our life. We haven't come to the point yet in our culture of suffering physical persecution. We hear about it in pockets around the nation. It's becoming more prominent. But most of us haven't dealt with physical persecution because of our faith. But many of us understand the social awkwardness because you can't hardly do anything without there being some kind of confrontation to the Christian faith. And we need to take the opportunity, recognizing the freedoms that we still have, and take advantage of that in being able to share with others. You know why the the churches are languishing in our country? It's not because of the style of music that we have. It's not because of the lack of programs. It's not because the the word isn't being preached. It's, It's largely the reason why churches are languishing is because people are not sharing their faith. People are not representing Christ in their life. People are not carrying out the Great Commission. The church is languishing because the church has become inwardly focused and has lost its passion for the lost. We need to get back to remembering the Great Commission. We need to get back to recognizing, you know what, if they, if they come against us and they oppose us and they reject us, so what? We're blessed in their rejection. God is with us. He's going to bless us for it. He's going to be there with us. And we can glorify God in that rejection. Because if we're being rejected, that means you're actually doing what Christ called you to do. If you're being rejected because of your faith, if you're being, if you're being opposed because of your biblical convictions, that means you're actually manifesting the character of Christ. What are they opposing? They're not opposing you. They're opposing Him. And that's where we need to be. That's where He calls us to be. And that is how we glorify Him. In contrast to feeling shame at the name of Christ, we ought to be seeking to use our relationship with Him to bring others to faith. Not merely as a matter of obedience, but as a matter of honoring the One who gave everything for us. The call to glorify God in the name of Jesus is is at the heart of all of Christ's commands to us. 
It's all about the glory of God. It's all about the glory of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, it says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about his glory. Jesus came into this world, God of very God, and he took on human flesh to be our substitute, to stand in place where we should have stood to endure God's wrath against sin on our behalf so that we might be cleansed and we might be accepted and we might be made whole. He did that for us. He accomplished that at Calvary's cross. And then God the Father raised him from the dead three days later to declare that he had been given victory over sin and that he had defeated death for all time. There is nothing left for us to be afraid of. There is nothing left for us to be afraid of. And Christ did that for our benefit, but he did it for the glory of the Father. Glorify God in this name. We glorify God in the name of Christ by showing that we believe Him and that we trust Him in every circumstance. It's not simply living a quiet and peaceful life. That's good. It's good to live a quiet and peaceful life. Scripture tells us so. But not to the exclusion of being bold in our faith. We can live a quiet and peaceful life and be bold in our faith. We're to glorify God. That glorifying God, it's really simple. It just means to exalt Him. It's just exalting the name of God, exalting the name of God through Christ and through what He's done. We glorify that name when temptations arise and we overcome them through the power of the Spirit. We glorify His name when opposition arises and we persevere in our convictions, not bending to the will of the world, but to the truth of the Word. When suffering comes and we endure, knowing that if we suffer because we are doing what he would have done, not only is he pleased with us, but we are effectively showing the world Jesus Christ. And when we fail, being a Christian simply means we confess our sins and that we're forgiving and we continue to serve him, trusting in the sufficiency of his blood. That is the task that we are given as Christians. Christians, simply being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, being his disciple, growing in faith and serving faithfully in his church. It's not meant to be easy. I think sometimes there's this misconception among, among people in the church, outside the church, sometimes we think, and we, sometimes we present the gospel this way, that if you just put your faith and trust in Christ, that everything's going to be great. That's not what Scripture tells us. Do things improve? Sometimes. <laughs> they improve definitely as far as eternity is concerned. They prove definitely as far as the power that you have to endure whatever suffering that you're going through. They improve definitely in all areas of life as a matter of perspective. But as in, in matters of, of practical living, sometimes professing faith in Christ makes things more difficult 
Sometimes it invites persecution. Sometimes it invites opposition. Sometimes it invites difficulty into our life. But guess what? I would, it is much better to endure suffering with Christ than without Him. We're going to struggle along the way, but the thing that we need to remember is that it's not our strength that gets us through. It's His. It is His strength. It is the completed work of Christ. It is His strength and His purposes that are being carried out. He is there to teach us, to strengthen us, and to help us. So let us not be discouraged in our faith. And let us not be concerned that we might experience rejection or opposition because of our faith. Let us not hide who we are as followers of Christ, but let us live boldly for the name of Christ, knowing that whatever may come, that God will be glorified through us as we represent Him. We are going to experience suffering. It's going to happen. It's, it's just part of life. It's part of being a disciple of Christ. I was listening to a message a couple months back, one that Brother Ian introduced to me. Dr. Terry Trevett, he had this to say, the power of the resurrection doesn't come without the fellowship of suffering. That's where we are. That's where we are. When we suffer, we experience the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ more fully. That's what he's called us to. It is a means of glorifying God. It is a cause for joy. Because God is glorified when we continually and faithfully turn to him and trust in him in the face of suffering. Let us pray together. Father God, I thank you first of all for your word to us, for the encouragement that you seek to provide, for the reality of what Christ has done, And Lord, I ask now in this moment for a renewed sense of urgency in the lives of your children, for bearing your name faithfully, not being ashamed, but glorifying you in the name Christian in being your disciple, in obeying your commands, in living pleasing in your sight. Let our hearts be transformed by the power of your Spirit. Teach us your ways and lead us, Lord, into the future. Give us the strength we need to stand firm on your word. that we might glorify you in all that we do. Forgive us, Lord, where we failed. Forgive us where we've neglected the responsibility to share your truth. And renew our hearts again. Renew our passion for you. Renew our passion for the gospel. 
renew our passion for the kingdom. Lord, we love you. And Father, while this challenge is primarily to those who, who know you already, Father, I recognize that there may be some this morning that don't. And I pray, Lord, that you would help them to recognize the worth of following Christ, that you are their only hope. And I pray, Father, that you would touch them and draw them to yourself. Give them of your strength. Lead them to repentance, even as you lead us to repent of our failings. For in you is life and fullness of joy. So we come to you this morning, Lord, in humble hearts, and we ask for your will to be done. Have your way, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you to stand with me.